0: This is Victoria of the Unleashedheart.com, and you're listening to Grieving Voices, a podcast for hurting hearts who desire to be heard, or anyone who wants to learn how to better support loved ones experiencing loss. As a 30-plus-year griever and advanced grief recovery method specialist, I know how badly the conversation around grief needs to change. Through this podcast, I aim to educate grievers and non-grievers alike, spread hope, and inspire compassion toward those hurting. Mm -hmm. Lastly, by providing my heart with ears and this platform, grievers have the opportunity to share their wisdom and stories of loss and resiliency. How about we talk about grief like we talk about the weather? Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Grieving Voices. I am your host, Victoria Volk, and today I'm going to be sharing my takeaways and reflections from episodes 40 and 41. Episode 40 was with Dr. Christopher Kerr, who spoke about the end-of-life experience from his book and research that is written about in his book, Death is But a Dream, and I'll also talk about episode 41 with my guest Ann Jacobs, who has been living with metastatic breast cancer for 17 incredible years. When I interviewed Dr. Kerr, it was back in mid February, I was just about to start um, an end of life doula training program. And so I was excited to hear his perspective um, in advance of starting that training. I also had purchased his book and had started reading it. And um, after going through the program and the episode went live um, on March 30th, which was dedicated to my father, actually, because March 31st was um, his death anniversary. I call it. And <clears throat> it was just very timely. The, the end-of-life training, Dr. Kerr on my podcast, um, the 34th year my dad has been gone. Um, it was just... Uh, a very timely conversation for me. And I feel like the past two years have been full of full circle moments, really, ever since I became a certified grief recovery specialist and the other trainings I've taken since, um, which, you know, really everything, one thing leads to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And I think when we start to embark on really healing ourselves deeply, we see opportunity everywhere. And when we are consumed emotionally, it's really difficult to see what is possible. We don't really want to think futuristic. We don't want to create goals for ourselves um, because it, it feels arbitrary. It feels... Um, kind of meaningless because when we've experienced so much grief in our lives, trying to find that meaning is really what many of us do, which brings me to the conversation I had with Dr. Kerr and how towards the end of life, if we are, well, I'll say it, if we are lucky enough to have the gift of time with loved ones before we pass and they with us, it is an opportunity to find meaning in the years that we've lived up to that moment. And based on Dr. Kerr's research, that is what happens for many people who he's done this research with. And but he talks about it in the context of an environment that nurtures that opportunity and so he talked a lot about the medicalization of end of life experience and you know said that majority of americans do not want to die in an institution but yet most do um he said too you know we get to this place of of, you know, with a terminal illness, you can get to this place of medical purgatory where you get released from the hospital and get sent home with, to be with loved ones and caretakers and all the rest of it when there's nothing more that can be done. But then you're kind of in limbo. Um, you're left to figure it out. And and what's missing for so many patients and family members is the education they don't know what to expect. Family doesn't know what to expect. What does dying look like? What are the signs? What are the symptoms? What are what might he or she exhibit as t- in terms of personality? Will we be able to speak to them or talk to will they be able to talk to us? All these things that kind of get um, I don't know like there's just this lack of conversation around and and honesty um to be honest from what Dr. Curis said it's this lack of honesty on the medical side of the process of dying and just terminal illness itself it's this inability to be honest you know because a doctor's goal is to exhaust all options and But what that is doing in the process is denying people of their own agency of what they want to do or what they would, you know, maybe they would decide differently if they had the information, if they had more information. And I don't know about you, but what I've learned about myself is I need all the information and then I need to make a decision. Give me all the information and then I'll decide. And... There is no greater advocate for that than you yourself, and hopefully, we all get to that end stage of our life and we have that choice, we are we have that option, and we have the ability to communicate that. And if we don't, that we have it in writing so that our loved ones can for us. And so, I used to think that. I just wanted to go quick and I didn't want to really know what hit me and, you know, or in my sleep, right? Like this, you know, sleeping beauty kind of scenario. And I go to sleep and I don't wake up and it's it's a sleep for the rest of my life thing, you know, beautiful thing. But what I've come to realize through my end of life doula pro, um, training And also this interview and research with Dr. Kerr that he shared with me is that end-of-life can really be one of the most beautiful experiences you ever have. It allows you the opportunity to complete what is emotionally incomplete for yourself at the end of life is how I interpreted it, how it was described. And we very much do that in grief recovery. And what happens at the end of life with many of the people in this, in this research, which was confirmed by the research, is that loved ones who have, who have passed come to visit those dying. And that can bring great comfort for them. And it can bring great comfort for the family as well. But there's more to the end-of-life experience that I can speak to as an end-of-life doula in that we each have the power to communicate what we desire at end-of-life. Now, again, whether we're given that option or not is not our choice to make. Um, am I asking for a terminal illness so I can have this experience? no. But do I want this kind of experience for myself and for my loved ones because I understand the impact that it has positively on the bereaved? Absolutely. So with end of life, we have a sense of agency if we are able to communicate that. And, and here's the thing, even before you get to the point where you're not able to communicate that, you can communicate that. You can put it in writing. What do you want done with your body after you pass? Do you want your body washed? I would never even considered that uh, before my end of life doula class. But you can have your loved ones wash your body. And it doesn't need to be your whole body. It can just be your feet. It can just be your hands. It, they could wash your hair. Um... You know, it doesn't have to be, it can be whatever you want it to be. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? What, you know, and we can do something what's called a legacy project, where I as a doula can come in and we can create something that is left behind, but in your honor and in, in a way that where you feel like you've given some value to your loved ones that your life is giving some meaning. Some people might um, have someone dictate and write out their thoughts. Maybe um, as someone who's in the process of dying, you want to write a letter to all your grandchildren. That can be a legacy project. Um, Perhaps there's a collection of things That you've collected over the years and you want something like a collage made or um, you can involve the family in legacy projects as well. There was a beautiful story that was illustrated about a woman who um, she was a very, she was very well known in the creative and in the arts industry. Um, I believe she like painted pianos. I'm not even sure. Just very artsy fartsy kind of, kind of lady and well known. And she, I think she designed costumes, too, or, you know, something like that. And her loved ones and friends, she had, actually, when she was in the process of dying, someone had given her a chandelier that was made out of Barbie dolls. But all the Barbie dolls had the same uh, swimsuit, you know, like those synchronized swimmers. They were, It was like they were in a shape of synchronized swimmers, as this chandelier that was made in you know, with these Barbie dolls. And she said, wouldn't it be neat if we could, if I could do that, if we could coordinate this human synchronized swimming, you know, you know, event or whatever. And her loved ones and her family did this very thing that was on her heart that she wanted, that she thought would be the neatest thing as a creative person, she wanted she would have loved to have coordinated this, and she would have been the one coordinating it. And she did, you know, they knew that she she didn't know if she was actually going to live to see it to fruition. And so every idea she had was documented. and they came up with the, the swimsuit, the swimwear for everybody, and they did this beautiful choreographed, synchronized swimming. impromptu impromptu thing in the middle of the city where, you know, they had a huge, um, where the huge, a huge fountain was. And it was the most beautiful video. And, um, I'm actually, I'll put it in the show notes because it, this is the best example of a legacy project that was shared in our training. Um, now it doesn't have to be that elaborate or anything like that, but it was just, it was just. Beautiful. And so as the person dying, you can create yet one last piece of legacy. And you can involve your family, and it can be a very beautiful thing and experience. Um and also too, as an end of life doula, we are the buffer, we are the bridge between the hospice care team and the family and, and the one, one that's sick and bring great comfort for the spiritual and um, emotional aspect of the person who's dying, which, you know, the hospice care team, the wonderful job that they do, their, their focus is on the physical person, you know, on the physical body, keeping the physical body comfortable, but what about the spiritual and the emotional, right? That, and so that's where the end-of-life doulas come in. As Dr. Kerr said in the interview, he said, we treat dying as a medical problem to address or solve. When it's really about a closing of a life, it's not about a failing body part. And he went on to say that people don't die in parts, they die in totality, and totality of life is defined mostly by relationships. And so medicine takes something that is ultimately a human experience and then sterilizes it into something it isn't. And I couldn't help but think about my own dad's experience of you know being in the nursing home and dying in the nursing home at age 44 and how this environment just does not nurture and foster connection and yeah, it just very much sterilizes the process of dying and I just couldn't help but think that oh, if my dad would have had this opportunity if only he would have been able to experience a good death and have some say in that for himself. But I think so often too, as the person dying, we don't want to burden anybody. A lot of us are afraid to burden people. And so even in grief, we do this, we don't want to say how we really feel because we feel like then we're burdening someone else with our emotions. And how we live is how we die. And so if we have that mentality of not being able to be honest about how we feel and we when we're living, we're going to go out that way too. But wouldn't it be such a beautiful experience, a more liberating and freeing experience to be able to live the rest of your days and live out your days with the ability to be honest? To tell the emotional truth about what you desire, what you feel, what you need, and how you want to experience your last days. Like that's, that's your last test. That's like your last, um, that's really the last opportunity you have to, I don't even know what the word is. Um, yeah, like fully express your sense of agency, I suppose. Um, so anyway, this conversation just and the conversation and the end of life doula training just really opened my eyes, really flipped my idea of what I want my end of days to look like. Um, i just really hope that one day however it happens that i do have this opportunity just like described by dr kerr in his episode and in his book um to have this beautiful experience with my loved ones where they too feel some sort of completion with my passing um that's really what what I'm I took away from my training and from this episode. So I hope you listen to it because if you know someone who is in the process of going through a terminal illness, or you yourself are, or if you're like me and you know are healthy and but you know just thought too, like you just want to go quick, you don't want to know. I understand the oh, the impact that has on loved ones left behind, and dying can be a beautiful thing, and that's what this has shown me this 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 dr. Kerr episode, the training that I had it can be a life affirming experience, as Dr. Kerr said he said dying is It's like post-traumatic growth, spiritually and psychologically. He said, too, what's good for the patient is good for the loved ones. And so I've definitely been impacted by his work and by the the education that I received in my end-of-life doula training, for sure. So I hope you check that episode out and even Dr. Kerr's book, Death is But a Dream. Moving on to my conversation in episode 41 with Ann Jacobs. First of all, I knew I was going to cry during the episode. And she had such sage advice for whether you're someone who's been diagnosed with cancer, or you know someone who has, or you're healthy. She, you cannot listen to her story and not reflect On your own life or on the life of someone you love. And she said, you know, before cancer, she took for granted that she would wake up the next morning. And yet now there's this, you know, for the past 17 years, actually it's been 18, but 17 years with metastatic breast cancer, she's had this unwanted house guest that she can't ignore. And she even said, and when I do for too long, It doesn't serve me well, she said. And, you know, so you can try and put it out of your mind. But every morning is a reminder, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like, it's almost like when my husband, he has back pain, he's out, he's had chronic back pain. And, you know, when he's laying down, he doesn't feel it. He feels perfectly fine. He feels no pain when he's laying down. Fortunately for him, you know, there. I know there's, and he's aware of this, there's many people with back pain that can't sleep because they have such horrible pain no matter which way they lay. And although he, he does get up at least once or twice, maybe sometimes even three times during the night, so it's not like he's getting the best sleep, but he's not getting up because he's in back pain, is my point. But, you know, even he has said, you know, he goes to sleep, or even if he lays down for a nap or he's laying down, he, gets, he there's a moment where he forgets until he goes to get up. Oh, yeah, that's right. This is my reality. And I'm not comparing back pain to cancer, but I'm comparing this idea of how it's easy for him to forget, but also for her, too, who's even dealt with this for 17 years. So when she's getting comfortable, when she's feeling good for maybe several days, maybe even a week or two, she can kind of forget, you know, what she's really living with. But she's quickly reminded that at any time, the shoe can drop. And that's what she shared. It's like, I'm, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm waiting for that day to come where, some, where I'm told... There's nothing more we can do. This treatment isn't doing what it what it should be. There are no other treatments. There are no other options. And she's fully aware that that day is going to come. She just doesn't know when. And it's one thing to experience that, I think, for three months, six months, a year, maybe even five or six years, but 17 years of her life. Has been spent fighting this thing in her body that this unwanted house guest that isn't going anywhere. She will die of metastatic breast cancer, and she knows this. She just doesn't know when. And so, what better teacher for all of us to live for today, to live today to the fullest? To not wait around to write that book or to ask that person out or to make that phone call or to make amends or do something on your bucket list. Try out for the play that you've always wanted to do. Bungee jump, skydive, um, send joy to other people. I mean, there's just so many ways that we can live each day to the fullest. It doesn't have to be grand. It doesn't have to be big. It can be just simply really stewing in gratitude for today. And so she gave so much hope in her message to not only people who may just be diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or people who've been diagnosed with a terminal illness, um, but also for the rest of us who are healthy, that, you know, it doesn't need to take, like, why does it need to take a terminal diagnosis for us to wake up to our own lives? Why does it take this catastrophic, life-changing event that changes the trajectory of your the rest of your life you know she can't plan trips she can't plan for three months from now she can't plan period she can but she can't you know it's like this double-edged sword it's You don't know if it's going to come to fruition. You don't know how you're going to feel. You're not going to buy tickets. You're not going to buy plane tickets. You're not going to book a hotel. You're not going to do all these things you would normally do because you don't know how you're going to feel. Right? So I held so much love in my heart for her during our recording. I still do. In fact, I'm going to have her back on a regular basis to check in with her. Uh, We plan to record every few months, I think five months or so, four months, something like that, um, for however long. I don't know. I don't know how long, right? It could be for the next 10 years. God willing, I'm still podcasting 10 years from now. (laughs) If I have grieving voices exist 10 years from now, um, hallelujah, that, I mean, I can't even imagine, I can't imagine that, but how wonderful that would be. All the conversations I can have that I get the opportunity to have in that time, like it just fills my heart to even think about it. Um, I'm actually approaching my 50th episode. It feels like next week, but it's really, um, what is it? Nine episodes from now. So nine weeks from now, but, um, I actually have episodes into um, ready, you know, to edit and stuff into July and August already. so um, I'm excited to hit that milestone of fifty episodes because a lot of people don't who start podcasting, many people don't. So I'm very proud of this platform that I've been nurturing, and the guests that bless my presence and yours with their stories. Um, I just feel so blessed to be able to do this and to bring Anne's story to you, to bring the knowledge of Dr. Kerr and and everybody else who comes on my podcast. Um, It's with great intention that I have these conversations and it's to bring hope. It's to bring some introspection to your life, to your day. And um, probably some gratitude too, right? That, you know, there's no high hierarchy of grief. There's no story that's, or no one's grief is better or, you know, more important or more valid than anybody else's. But I think as humans, we naturally, when we hear someone's story, and we think we might think to ourselves, and actually someone just said this to me not long ago, you know, hearing that this other person's story it made me think, oh, man, yeah, my life isn't so bad, you know? We don't want to minimize our grief. We don't want to minimize what we've gone through. So if you're listening to this, please don't do that. But if it brings some perspective to you, then that's a good thing, you know? If you're willing to look at it that way, it can really bring some healing for you Um, to think about, you know, um, I think it's really just thinking about other people, right? I actually told this to someone too, not that long ago, the fastest way to get out of your own stuff in your own head and in your heart is to focus on other people focus on helping other people um so anyway i got off on a tangent there but Anne's story just really touched me in in a really profound way and i mean so much so like i said i she's going to be an ongoing guest um the first one ever and um, I look forward to catching up with her again in a few months and bringing her, her um, update to all of you. And I think it's um, a wonderful thing to give her this space to do so, to share her a piece of her journey with others for the sake of helping others. She's helping others when she does that, and I know she knows this. And also, too, when I'm, you know, going through the end-of-life doula program and just understanding the importance of, like, you know, of legacy and what do we want to leave behind? What do we want people to say about us once we make our exit? And um, I just really want people to hear from Anne over and over and over. And if I can give some, um, something of... That's really a labor of love for me and also something that is meaningful for her to her family someday then and i I can coordinate that and orchestrate that and put that together like you know in the form of this podcast then i'm I'm all for it i'm I'm here for it and so I presented her the idea and she she loved it she was honored to be asked and it it is my honor to have her as an ongoing guest. So look forward to seeing more of Anne um, on the podcast coming up. But um, her story is definitely a road less traveled. Um, There aren't many people who have lived as long as she has lived with metastatic breast cancer. And on top of that, with her too, triple positive metastatic breast cancer which is even I am I was kind of doing my own research and things and it seems to be one of the most it is the most aggressive is um, triple positive and um, she's managed to through her own um, hope for tomorrow and faith in the treatments and her positivity like this she exudes positivity. If you listen to the episode, you just, you feel it when you listen to her voice. Um, I, I'm, I'm not surprised, I guess when I, now that I've gotten to know her and I hear her story and I hear her talk and, you know, through email correspondence and things, it's not surprising to me that she's made, you know, made it 17 years with this, with this beast, you know, in her body. And she said, you know, in the beginning, it's like you feel like you're dropped into a foreign country with no map and you don't know the language. And I think that's true for grief in general. And with a, a diagnosis such as hers, like, you know, it's just like this. It, it feels like such heavy grief to me, too. All these losses that she described, you know, being a young mother uh, with this diagnosis and you know, and even then, like not when you don't know, you don't know, like you don't know what you don't know. And so she didn't know how much time she would have in the beginning. And she didn't know she'd be here 17 years later. And so, you know, it took her some time to even probably embrace the idea that she could be present in her children's lives and and with her, you know, significant other spouse for this long. You know, it's like I, I would have almost imagined like you'd be even afraid to entertain that idea as to not get, you know, depressed and disappointed. And and it's like, how do you stop that committee in your head like, you know, from going off the rails and telling you you're, you're ridiculous for thinking you could live that long? And, you know, I just... I just feel all the feelings when I think about if it were me in that position. And I just... um It just felt really, it feels really heavy to me. It feels like a really heavy experience, but she's just so fully embraced this deck of cards she's been dealt and with such grace and um, probably not getting it perfect all the time, you know? I, I mean, how can you? There's no manual for, you know, how to survive metastatic breast cancer for 17 years. And you know what? I have every confidence, though, if there was one, she could write it. You know, um, maybe I'll have to suggest that to her, a manual for living with metastatic breast cancer. There you go. And if you're listening to this, there's, there's your book idea, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I just really, I really loved, um, my conversation with her. I really hope you listen to it and it's for everybody. It's not just for people, um, in her situation or a caregiver or it's it's there's something for everyone and there's one thing she said too that I just want to end with if you allow yourself to feel deeply you interact with others at a different level and that is so true and and I talk about this a lot in my social posts and in blog posts and things like that, it's grief just really has a way of disconnecting or disconnecting us from others and ourselves. And, and until we allow ourselves to feel deeply and to really dig into all of those feelings, um, that disconnect only gets wider and wider. And so the road back to yourself can feel really laborious then. Um, That was my experience. I'm not saying that is for everybody. But I think the longer we allow that gap to, you know, or the more time that we allow to pass and that the more, the wider we allow that gap to get of that disconnect from ourselves and our grief, and to other people it's just really that much harder to 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 find our way back to ourselves again because what happens is is in that time you have more losses you just have more loss because grief doesn't stop because you lay down in bed at the end of the day you know tomorrow something else might happen you might have another loss or, grief experience. You quit, got your, you know, lost your job in another lockdown. Kids have to homeschool again. Um, you get a diagnosis. Someone you love gets a diagnosis. You lose your house. You have financial hardship, whatever it is. Your house burns down. I mean, there's so much uh, catastrophe that can happen in our lives that is, that you don't ask for and it's not planned. You don't know and that those things continue you know we continue to have experiences like that and you can have micro losses too just you know a friendship that falls away um you know an argument that you know causes a disconnect in a relationship for a time just all these little things um job stress, career stress or, you know, career grief, job grief, you know, you hate what you're doing or you love what you're doing, but you hate your boss or, you know, you're just not getting along or, you know, whatever it is, these things are ongoing in our lives. And so, because life doesn't stop lifing, right? There's my quote for this episode. Life doesn't stop lifing. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? And so if we can take control a little bit, take one percent responsibility for what is going on in our lives, as it comes as it refers to grief, then we feel more empowered to deal with those things as they come. And that's what grief recovery has done for me. And that's what I talk a lot about. You know, I also say, too, it's like you're suffering already. You might as well be suffering and moving your feet. Suffering and taking action. And that's really what grief recovery... That's the message I really want to send in that... Whether it's been three months or three years or 30 years... Since a diagnosis, since a loss you know, since a relationship fell apart, whatever the grief experience is, no matter how recent or no matter how long it's been, the worst has already happened. But I can guarantee you there's more things to come. And so do you want to be prepared for those things or do you want those things to stack on to the crap that happened before? You know, you've already suffered. You already are suffering So let's do something about it. Let's empower yourself. Empower yourself with the tools and the education and the knowledge to know that when the next thing hits, that you'll be okay. And that's the hope. That's the hope. To know that you'll be okay. That is today's episode. I thank you so much for listening and... Again, please check out episode 40 with Dr. Chris Kerr, episode 41 with Ann Jacobs. And until next time, remember, when you unleash your heart, you unleash your life. Much love. From my heart to yours, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it, because sharing is caring. And until next time, give and share compassion by being a heart with ears. And if you're hurting, know that what you're feeling is normal and natural. Much love, my friend.